I've said this time and time again. The one thing rockers like to do more than anything else, even more than listen to the actual music, is talk about the music. We can talk about rock until the power goes out and we can't even listen to the records we're talking about, but still continue to talk about rock. There are a few go-to bands that can elicit non-stop diatribes, rants, scoldings, sermons, tongue lashings, and theories. Outsiders may think these are the tirades of their most vengeful, hateful detractors, but closer examination shows these are really the band's most loyal, devoted, impassioned fans. Probably the one band that elicit the most discourse from its flock and beyond is KISS, a four-piece band from Queens, New York, and the most shrewd and business-savvy band in entertainment history. Even after 40 years in show business, when are they not in the news? Whether it's Gene Simmons' reality show, a KISS product he's currently peddling, or an ex-member who's creating drama off to the side, KISS are one of the only bands who have never been out of the spotlight for longer than the blink of an eye. And it's because of this that they've become the subject of many discussions. Some flattering? Lately, not so much. Which can be the inevitable fallout for being in the spotlight for too long, I suppose. Ever so quietly, this podcast moonlights as a KISS Army podcast. Full episodes on the band like episode number 19 with Cassius Morris, episode 34 with Jonathan Fenno, and episode number 49 with Lydia Chris have been dropped in in between episodes with bands and comedians. But when the gloves need to come off, distance does little to hamper discussion. And from my digs in Toronto to faraway Tokyo, I can rely on my good friend, Marty Friedman, to talk about Kiss With Me for as long as it takes. Marty has been on the podcast before to talk about Kiss, episode number 24 to be exact, and it was about time to bring him on again to talk about Kiss. This podcast episode was recorded back in February, and the band's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction had just been announced with the usual drama that surrounds them. Except this time, given the high-profile nature of the event, more media had swooped down to cover the story. This also, coincidentally or not, happened to lead up to the release of singer-guitarist and star child Paul Stanley's much-anticipated autobiography, Face the Music. Over the last few years, Marty and I have discussed KISS through emails, sent each other KISS-related CDs, slices of these conversations were captured on the 24th episode of this podcast, as mentioned. I must say, at the time of this recording, Marty himself was, and still is, ramping up for the May 27th release of his first solo album in four years, entitled Inferno, out on Prosthetic Records. So, there was much to discuss here. There are many firsts on Inferno. It's Marty's first album in ten years to be released simultaneously worldwide. I'm on it. I'm on it twice. Firstly on track number five, I Can't Relax, and then track number nine, Lycanthrope, which happens to also feature Children of Bodom's Alexi Leho. But probably the most highly anticipated first is Marty's team-up with Jason Becker, reuniting the legendary Cacophony on a track called Horrors, track number 11, the first time the duo have collaborated since the Cacophony days back in 1988. Being able to say that I am on an album that includes Marty Friedman and Jason Becker is an absolute honor to me a check off the old bucket list, and I know wholeheartedly it's a distinct privilege. 
But that's still not all. Track number nine features Jorgen Monkby from Shining. And if you've listened to this podcast before, you know I love that band. Jorgen was featured on episode number 59, and he doesn't disappoint on here either. I've heard Inferno now about five or six times, and I have a policy to not put albums I'm on on my year-end roundup list. But it's nothing to worry about. It's easy to see that Inferno is going to be on a lot of people's top ten. A true test of the album's validity was running into writer Kevin Stewart Panko, a past guest on this podcast. I ran into him at a show recently, and we both discussed how impressive Inferno was. Kevin's someone whose opinion I respect, and whose opinion is read, whether it's writing for Terrorizer, Decibel, Alternative Press, or any other music magazine or blog. I should make mention here that Marty Friedman will be going on tour in May of 2014 throughout Europe and the UK with Gus G of Firewind and Ozzy Osbourne fame, so make sure you catch him if he's nearby. A new Marty Friedman album means the world of music is better for it. A podcast where Marty Friedman almost opts to talk more about Kiss than his new album is a testament to this man's Kiss fandom, and I'm all ears. I want to thank Skull Candy Headphones and Blue Mic Microphones for the constant support of the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For all listening out there in Cyberworld, thanks for listening. Marty Friedman returns to the podcast and is this episode's guest on the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. What's up, brother? How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How you doing? Awesome. That's great. I was thinking of uh, just kicking it off and right off the top, we got to talk about um, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, man, it, it's, it's a tough one because you got to think of Paul and Gene's perspective on it. There's really no way to please everybody in the situation. Um, you and I are like hardcore Kiss fans. We love the sound of Ace and Peter playing in Kiss, right? Am I right? Absolutely. I mean, that is the sound. That's the sound that, like, you know, we grew up to. And, like, this is the sound. Unfortunately, two of the creators of that sound are, like, guys that I would hate to work with. <laughs> I hear you. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you've been in a band. You've run your band for a long time. I've been in bands forever. Keeping the show on the road and keeping your good name in, in good standing with promoters and fans and and hotels and, and uh, record companies and business people, that's a lot of work. And you just can't have these guys fucking off and ruining things for you all the time. And I'm sure that Paul and Gene have just, don't even want to deal with those kind of guys. And unfortunately, those are the guys who made the sound that we love. Now, they have been in the band at the beginning, of course, but if you look at the career, the 40 years of KISS, you've got the people who've done the actual work to make everybody know how great the stuff Ace and Peter originally did. 
I mean, if they didn't go to all of the effort and work that they've done to keep Kiss alive, I mean, they're still playing those, they're still playing Cold Gin in 2014. I mean, it given it had Ace and Peter been left with the responsibility of doing that, the band would have died in like 1978. Right. And so you just got to remember who's doing all the work. And you got to really respect Gene and Paul for doing that. And, and, and that's kind of where I stand on it. So um, whatever they decide is probably um, the fairest thing because really it's so much the Gene and Paul show. It always was, you know, it just happened by sheer happenstance that the sound of Ace and Peter is a sound that we particularly like. Now, the guys who are replicating that sound do a better job than the original guys in making that sound. Yeah. Now, if you were the, the employer, like Gene and Paul, who are you going to hire? The guy who delivers the goods every night perfectly or guys that you can't trust for anything that are just going to like throw TV sets out of the windows and, and not show up and be completely wasted and threaten to quit the band every five minutes? I mean, this is from their own admissions in their books. I Absolutely. mean, this is not speculation. This is what they've said themselves, you know, so... I completely, I, I love Ace and Paul, I, Ace and Peter, I mean, just like you do, but I, I have to think of like a realistic standpoint. Who's doing the work? I mean, it's all Gene and Paul. You know, it's a tough, um, it's a tough argument for KISS fans because uh, a lot of KISS fans have so much emotion invested in Ace and Peter, they can't separate what these guys have done behind the scenes, even though they've admitted to a lot of the stuff already. I mean, just because you love Ace's songs, it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean he needs to be a part of the band still, you know, um, because of what he's put Gene and Paul through. But I think a lot of the reason why people side with Peter and Ace is because I have to say Gene Simmons is public persona that he's crafted over the years isn't really, despite what Gene might think, isn't really some someone that's likable. I mean, and I like it. I personally like his public persona. I find it um, interesting, humorous. I could see the tongue-in-cheek aspect to Gene. But at the same time, a lot of people can't get that side of his humor. And I feel that that has played a large part in um, shifting um, a lot of people's um, sympathy towards Ace and Peter. I'll totally agree with that and totally buy that. I mean, if you if you want to go for the cool factor, Ace and Peter definitely have it over Gene in spades. Yeah, and Gene's but cool I mean, factor doesn't keep the show on the road. No, I mean the truth is in the telling, and you know. It, it's so obvious that Gene and Paul have kept the the legacy alive and, and everything like that. But, you know, I think if Gene had stayed where in terms of the public, his public persona, the way Paul had stayed back and just, you know, kept a stiff upper lip, I think KISS fans and the KISS army wouldn't be as divided. I don't know if they are divided, but I think they'd be more sympathetic to the the Gene and Paul side of things, then I hear a lot of Kiss fans side with Ace and Peter automatically. I and totally agree with you. 
Yeah. And now they've announced, Gene and Paul have announced through kissonline.com, there will be no performance. Right. And so what can you do? I mean, how could you perform? I mean, what would you do in this situation? I would have gone with what I think Gene and Paul had originally wanted or intended was kind of a big jam amongst all the remaining members, which I think is what Metallica did. Um, and I'm sure other bands in the past have done that. Uh, you know, even getting Vinnie Vincent, uh, Bruce Kulick, Tommy Thayer, Ace Freely. I mean, that would have been an amazing moment. I think so. But I think the reality of that would be such a clusterfuck between like the egos that I read about in Peter's book and just the, the lack. I mean, Peter and Ace are so delusional in such in the clouds about being a musician. They're complaining about this is a, this was blowing my mind. Peter was talking about how technically difficult some of these Kiss songs were. Now, I really can't think of anything that's less technically difficult for any drummer than any Kiss song. And here's the guy in the band saying that song was pretty hard for me to play. I'd be hard-pressed to go into any bar in any country to find a drummer who would have any problem playing any Kiss song. And here's the guy in the band complaining about it. And Ace, Ace's solos, I mean, any kid could play those solos, and yet he has to have somebody explain it to him. I mean, how hard is it to go back and listen to your old record and play a really basic solo? It's no, it is no, it's no big deal. So, like, just the clusterfuck of putting all these people together is just probably something that Paul and Gene just don't want to deal with it. And here's the, the kicker right here. To them, the whole Hall of Fame thing is probably not even a big deal. I mean, it's just another, it's just another day. I mean, uh, it's wonderful. It's fantastic. But it's not going to really change their career one way or the other. Yeah. I mean, I know for, for I mean, it's, it was so obvious that they, they um, really resented uh, that they hadn't been inducted at this point in time for years. I mean, they'd all, so. Gene would always mention it in interviews. Um, and despite them trying to take the high road, it was so obvious their disdain for the snub. Now that they've been accepted, wow, you know, this band has created the, probably the, <laughs> the biggest controversy for the induction, you know, for a band who kind of publicly said we don't need it, they're really cre- they've they've created this huge thing about it. Well, I wonder if that's not also like in Gene's plans too. I mean, I wouldn't put it past Gene to, uh, you know, do whatever's going to get the most attention for the issue. Absolutely, I, I I mean, I guess. Oh yeah, Nirvana are also getting inducted, but you know, Nirvana, as amazing as they are, when you're when you're talking about the drama that circles around the Kiss camp, I mean, nothing can compare. <laughs> uh, I mean, Linda Ronstadt. I mean, who the fuck is making these calls at the meetings? Linda Ronstadt. Yeah, I want to listen to some rock and roll. Do you have any Linda Ronstadt available for me to listen to? I really like the fact that Kiss 
were not accepted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for the longest time. I wrote about it for the Huffington Post because the longer uh, they were um, snubbed, the more and more irrelevant the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame showed itself to really be. I totally buy that. And now that they're being inducted, it's kind of like, okay, well, okay, we got to find a new, <laughs> a new person to champion as the, as the band that should be in and, and aren't. You know? And now it's Deep Purple. Well, I kind of wish that uh, under that logic, I kind of wish that they didn't make it in because uh, <laughs> we'd have, <laughs> it'd be cooler. It'd be way cooler, way cooler. They would yeah. be the band that everybody knows should be in and they're not. And that would make them the real people's band. Yeah, yeah. If if Kiss was like super cool, they would have turned it down. Exactly. That's what. But I at the same time, I know that they can't. You know, you can't. The, you can't because like because like there will definitely be some kind of monetary gain for doing it, and Gene won't turn that down any way you look at it. Yeah, and the egos just won't stand for it. And you know, I can't blame them. If I was in the same position they were. I'd say oh, 90, yeah, ninety percent, ninety nine percent of people would would accept, no matter how long the snub was. That's too myself. I would accept it, of course. I told same here. I would <laughs> in a second. You know, I mean, it's it's acceptance by peers and you know, embraced by everybody. It's accepted that you are you are a, a legit legend. You know. Yeah. Getting back to the ego part of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you made mention of it. And that kind of leads into um, what you and I had kind of emailed each other about was Peter Chris's book, uh, mm. Makeup to Breakup, and yeah. um, how you said that in Peter's book, you know, he had kind of uh, admitted that Kiss songs were hard to play. There was so much mind-blowing stuff in that book when I read it that I really, I couldn't believe Peter actually let that out of the bag. Like there's so much stuff. And I think it's also partly due to just how delusional he might be. Oh, unbelievably delusional. He didn't realize when he wrote it and he allowed it to be published that it wouldn't make him look sympathetic. It wouldn't make him look good. It would make him lose respect from fans. Yeah, I mean, the things that he did, you know, it, it's just amazing that uh, Gene and Paul broke their back, bent over backwards to, like, give him a chance. And then he was making, like, 40 grand a night, and he was complaining about that, where it's that that's just unbelievable that he, like, thinks that what he was doing was deserving more than that when just previously he was just playing these horrible, horrible dives for nothing. And just like, you know, there's a reason why there's other people playing those kiss gigs right now. Yeah. You know, and, and happy to do it. And, and just by the fact that Peter Chris was like complaining about getting only 40 grand a night, that's really basically an insult to every single working musician who lives and breathes playing music to just come up and play for 10 people in a club. You know what I mean? Here's this guy. The world is handed to him. He's on such marginal talent. Such and I hate to say this because I love him and I love his music. And I think his book was the best of all the Kiss books. Of course, I haven't read Paul's yet. But like he's saying 
he's got everything handed to him, everything handed to him where there's like musicians all around the world who are just like living and breathing, playing music. They would learn a kiss set in 20 minutes and be on the next plane to pay to do that gig. And he's getting paid 40 grand to sit on his ass and play for 90 minutes. I mean, it's really mind boggling that he complains about that. And then he expects the people to re who are reading the book to not think he's a complete asshole. I mean, in Ace's book, like we talked about before, there's such an admittance to how, uh, of, of, um, of just um, alcohol abuse and drug abuse and how it affected him. And whether he wants to admit it or not, it, it has affected his playing. You don't have to read any of the books. You just have to hear you know, how, how his, Ace's playing has just degraded, you know, and so it's such a sad thing to say about, like you said, like two musicians that we both kind of, you know, idolize in a way because of where they stand in terms of, you know, music history. But facts are facts, man. I, I just, I finished the Peter Chris book and I, I remember just saying out loud, like, I think I kind of don't like him now. <laughs> yeah you know what you know what it is it's just the uh the luck that those are the four guys that made that great music that that turned us all on and that's a sound that no one else can completely recreate but that is like i would say a, a lot of luck going on this is not something that ace and peter honed in to make this particular sound this is just their sound and we loved it and they did a great job at that but they certainly made so many terrible decisions that left them out of what could have been a 40-year run for themselves. All they needed to do was clean up their act and do what they did on the first couple albums every night. Yeah. Um, hanging out with Gene and Paul is can't be easy. It must be like a boot camp, and it must be tough. But, I mean, they can do it, and there are obviously millions of musicians who would love to do it. But, you know, at that level... They don't even have to hang out with Gene and Paul. Everybody's got their own bus, entourage, you know? Yeah, I just don't. I, I get it more with Ace than with Peter. I mean, Peter, the, the book is so entertaining. I couldn't put it down. It was just shocking <laughs> the way he, like, puts himself on the level of people like John Bonham and stuff like that. And just, it just boggled my mind the things that he would say, like, like he wanted a drum solo in this song, strange ways, and like actually, like actually, like rationalized that there could be a drum solo in that song. Can you can you possibly imagine a drum solo in a song? It's like crazy. like it's like a given. Oh, like everybody loves a drum solo. And like the way he talked about when I played my drum solos in the concerts, I could feel all the girls dancing to that rhythm. Dude, the drum solo is when everybody goes out and gets a beer. This is like, <laughs> this, is a, this is a fact. It's a total fact. And like, there's nothing wrong with having a big ego. But like, if, if you love the fans so much, you got to tame that stuff down enough yeah. so you can stay in the band. Yeah. It's Man, true. it just kind of pissed me off because I love what he did in the band. And that sound, I mean, if you, take, if you listen to Psycho Circus, for example... There's only one song when he and Ace played on it. The song might have not been all that good, but that sound of Ace's guitar and Peter's drums, it just sounds different from all the other songs that were played perfectly. What song was it on Psycho Circus? 
What's that? What song? On, uh, Into the Void. Oh, right. Of course. Ace's song. Ace's song. I mean, like, like even Peter says, it's not that great of a song. And, but like that song, it sounds like Kiss. You know, I mean, that, it's, that's my it's favorite song off that album. Yeah. And you know what I mean? It is, it's that sound. It's, a, it's like comfort. It's like a comfort food to like guys like us who like grew up with that stuff and haven't heard it like when they started changing members and yeah. and now they they you know the new record sounds good but it's just like all it's all perfect and stuff and but that Ace and Peter sound it's just like a, it's a train wreck but we love that particular sound that that, that sound is is really special to us it's really organic sounding and and like you said monster it I mean, it is sheen and it is, it does, it does hark like the last record before it, Sonic Boom, it does harken back to old Kiss, except it's old Kiss from the late 80s, not the 70s. Well, I mean, who wants to go back 35 years and recreate what they did before? I mean, I totally get it. I mean, I don't want to do what I did last year again. I mean, I'm always onto something new. Right. So I totally get it. I mean, there's a certain amount of like shame in having to go back and rehash old shit that you've already done. I mean, there's gotta be some, even a small bit of shame in that. I would think so. I I applaud anybody who keeps moving towards the future, but there are hardcore guys like you and me and a lot of other fans out there who would just love to hear something that sounded like kiss alive or love gun. Absolutely. If, if they could, if they could, put out a record that sounds like a mix between Dress to Kill and Love Gun, I would be a happy camper. Boy, so would I. It'd be amazing. One guy who is probably, after all is said and done, after the 40 years and the public spotlight, the one guy that has remained kind of out of the spotlight as much as he's been in is Paul Stanley. Now, his book is coming out in April. That's going to be, for me, that's the most interesting because out of all the four guys, Paul Stanley strikes me as the most level-headed, clear-cut kind of guy. As much as you can at that rarefied air that those guys no, absolutely breathe. right absolutely right the other guys are all nuts i think that they're all nuts yeah different ways of being nuts but nuts. But you know it's those nuts that made this wonderful collaboration of four guys you couldn't possibly find four different more different guys true even you know between gene and paul i mean right and between Ace and Peter, they're all just different from one another. But Paul's someone who I think, you know, he might be a little close to the vest with some real details. Like he might not reveal as much as Peter revealed in yeah. terms of dirty laundry. But you know what he's going to say is going to have more grains of truth to it than all the books before him. Certainly. And, and you know, I wouldn't put it past him to throw in, throw in a couple surprises of uh, – some real details, you know, he's probably been waiting to say. Absolutely. And I can't wait to read it. Yeah, those are the hooks that get everybody to read these kinds of books. Sure. 
Well, Marty, um, we have to talk about something that's not, we're on the eve or the cusp of the release of your new album, Inferno. Yes. And um, it is very anticipated. And I guess I revealed this week that um, through social media that I have uh, participated in it. I'm on two tracks and it was a pleasure working with you. Dude, you're on three tracks. Well, you're on one of the bonus tracks. Yes, that's right. Three tracks, three tracks. (laughs) It was a, it was a a, an amazing experience to work with you. Uh, Very easy and mind expanding and blowing at times. And I've relayed the stories of working with you to friends of mine. Um, and it was, it was an honor. Man, likewise. I, you know, I've been a fan of yours ever since I heard your stuff. You definitely came to the party in spades on this thing. And um, it's just, it just kicks so much ass. And it's so perfect for the record. I mean... Uh, there's a lot of guitar going on the record. There's, there's, there's no doubt that it's, it's by far the most guitar album that I've ever done. And your vocal style is the perfect foil for that because just when you're about to like overload with, there's just too much fucking guitar going on, you come in and just rip your head off with a completely different human element that kind of gives a, such a good contrast to my guitar and all the other songs that the album has a fantastic balance because of that. And it also kind of does beg the question to like, when do we get a whole album of this shit? You know, <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Because that, uh, the songs that you sang on, I mean, it was just a natural, easy thing and it came out really good. And the record company's just really going ape shit over the song. And, um, I'm, you know, it's gone beyond my expectations and I really hope, well, it's probably going to come out shortly after this podcast. So I'm really anxious to hear what people think about uh, the work that we did together on this. Uh, same here. I'm, I'm super excited about it. I'm very proud to, to be a part of it. Um, it was a, a thrill, thrill of a lifetime to, to work with you um, in several capacities, whether you were in the studio with me, um, coaching the vocal tracking or just the simple collaboration and the simple songwriting collaboration we had for, I can't relax. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's so many different elements of, of our working relationship for the record. And then I didn't know about it until afterwards, but, uh, it was revealed I think after the songs were recorded that Jason Becker is a part of this album too. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, we did a collaboration. We wrote a song together. You know, his situation is, is not, uh, not the easiest for songwriting, but he still does believe it or not through, yes. uh, using his eyes and a computer. It's extremely ex- inspiring. And I, have you seen his movie? Not dead yet. Not dead yet. Absolutely. Everyone should see it. Everyone should see it. And there's a section in that movie where he's working on a piece of music with his dad. And uh, I heard that little section, just a little hair of a, a melody. And I said, dude, is that you using that thing for anything yet? 
And he's like, no, not yet. And I'm like, dude, send me the whole thing and any other ideas that you have. And then he just sent me a bunch of stuff that included. And I took ideas from that and I wrote my own song around that and created like a collaboration of the two of us, kind of like the way we did in Cacophony Days. And it came out to be one of the most challenging songs on the record and also one of the most exciting. So I I played it for him and he just... uh, he gave me his approval and he loved it. And, and it's just a wonderful thing to work together like that. That that's, that's such an incredible story. Uh, yeah. that's, that's to me, that's, that's so, I, I was talking to someone last night uh, because we were leading up to this podcast and I said, def- when I think back when I was, you know, growing up and I saw those cacophony, the, the, I mean, when I, when I heard about cacophony and I, I heard cacophony and it was just so much a part of my growing up to be on a record, to be on your record and then to have Jason Becker on, like to basically have, to be on a record with cacophony. Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's pretty mind blowing for me. It's like, I have to kind of pinch myself and go, is this really happening? Like, this is crazy. Uh, you know, you know, it was very important to me when when I'm doing the record that if I'm going to have guests on it, I, I, that kind of enthusiasm really goes a long way with uh, with uh, making a record like this. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people you could call to do a great guitar solo or bass solo or do a great vocal or something, but it's that like what you just said about like it means something to you that really it just makes it so much better for me making the stuff and arranging and producing all that stuff. And the final product is just so much better when the people have something personal invested in it. And, and the other guests that have been on the record have said so many fantastic things and just really good and glad that I have these people on the record. And, and, uh, it, it was just a wonderful collaboration of really cool people. And I just cannot wait to get it out, you know, so people can check it out. <laughs> and that one track that I've been able to hear, uh, ster- uh, Steroid Head. Yeah, yeah. That is like, <laughs> that. when you say that there's a lot of guitar on this album, uh-huh. Steroid Head is definitely the poster boy for that statement. I mean, yeah. it's just, fuck. I mean, I mean, for me, it's like, well, when I hear that Marty Friedman has a solo album, that's what I want to hear. Uh, I want to hear. Uh, I want to hear guitars soaring over one another. You know? <laughs> I, I like to hear that, man. I always appreciate it. You know, I mean, I'm gonna. I'm, this is the first worldwide release I've done in a long time, so I had to be really honest with myself. What do people really want to hear from me, and what is the thing that I'm gonna do that I don't have to look back backwards and say, well, they liked this a couple years ago, so I'll do that again. So, what could I do? that's modern and moving forward that people actually really want to hear from me and uh you know finding something that fit into both of those categories was really the hardest decision making of the whole record so that once i got past that then it then it became a lot of fun another guy who's attached to the project who a mutual friend of ours is jorgen monkby from shining holy shit man did have you heard his song yet that he did I have not heard his song, no. Holy shit. Talk about coming to the party. Jesus Christ, man. Did he, he, oh my God. 
Yeah, we, um, he didn't write the song in the way that you and I wrote the song. Um, pretty much the song was written by me, but uh, when I gave him the song and what he contributed to it kind of changed the face of the song so much that I arranged it into the point where he, he's kind of a songwriter on the song because his taste is, uh, is just, man, I, I love it. I really love it. And you're going to dig it. And, um, now the whole thing, man, there's really not one second on the record that I'm not proud of, but, uh, Jorgen, you know, I, um, I've known him for a while, but not nearly as long as you or some of the other guys. So, uh, and I'd certainly never worked with him before. So, uh, I was excited, but I didn't know what he was going to come up with. And, and boy, he, he stretched my brain in a new way. I think Shining is a phenomenal band. I got into them at Black Jazz. I've worked my way backwards and forwards in their catalog. And I saw them live the, a few months ago. They passed through Toronto. And they're one of the best live bands I've seen in years. Yeah. It's, and he's such a unique character. Yeah. And uh, he, he's a star, man. There's no other way to put it. And his talent on the instrument that he plays in his musical sense is it's out there. It's out a, there. Oh, man, they're so good. When I remember the first time I heard Black Jazz, I laughed out loud. I just started laughing. I, I, <laughs> I just, it was a sound in an album that I've been searching for without even knowing it. And I, when I heard it, I was like, wow, I found it. Yeah. Someone made this record that's been kind of, my brain has been searching for. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. It doesn't sound like anything else. No. He's a, a unique individual, very detail oriented. Absolutely. So I had him come in there. He wasn't there when you were there, right? You guys no. weren't in there together. Um, no. He was there and I was doing solos uh, on the song that he played on. So I actually had him like, uh, you know, put the producer's hat and I just played. I'm like, dude, what do you think of this? Dude, what do you think of that? Wow. So I, I kind of like let him tell me what he was thinking of what I was playing. And that was kind of like directing me in the way that I wanted to go. So it was really fresh having his, his, uh, his warped sensibility in there. It was, it was fantastic. It's amazing. I, I'm very happy. Uh, I'm happy for you that you've put out a record that is of such quality and such a standard with, with all the people involved. And I'm very excited to have everyone else hear it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a, it, it's, definitely something that uh, I'm going to be proud of for a long time. I'm, I'm going to go on tour for it. Hopefully somewhere on tour, you and I will cross paths and we can pull this thing off live. It'd be oh, amazing. Don't think that thought hasn't crossed my mind a few times. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm totally up for it and like, uh, we'll go out of my way to make that happen because it's just such a high point on the record and, if uh, so fun for sure. Yeah. The, the album that, uh, the Rock and Roll is Black and Blue album just blew my mind. Oh, thanks, man. And it's it's heavy rotation around these parts. Oh, thanks, man. Man, I'm I'm the biggest fan. I, I can't think of any any uh, albums that people made on such a consistent level where I like everything. You know, usually there's like some kind of direction change that I don't like or some kind of weird thing that changes things. But uh, 
I, I can't find a, a down spot in any of the albums I have of yours. Thanks, Marty. Thank you, man. Yeah, it's so true. Well, killer, bro. All right, man. Thanks so much for this. This has been awesome. Likewise, man. I can't wait to hear it. Um, I can't wait to hear your new stuff and uh, can't wait to get uh, this finished record to you and and, uh, see what you think. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. Killer, man. We'll definitely stay in touch and and have a great evening. You too. Have a good day, Marty. Awesome, man. Thanks, thanks for calling. Thank you. Thanks for being on the podcast. Okay, I'll talk to you soon, man. Talk to you, man. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. I'm always ready. Let's get busy. Burn it down.